You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator. As a matter of fact, if you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone, give me a call. We'll tackle it here on this show. All you have to do is call. And uh, I think what we're going to do tonight is we are just going to get right into the phone calls. I had a couple things I might want to talk about as we go, but uh, let's get to your calls and see what it is you want to talk about tonight. Let's go to Missouri to get started. Stuart, welcome to the program. Fair tax yesterday, Kevin. I've got a I've got a fuel gauge question and a short sure. follow up. Uh, on on fuel gauges, uh, I always stick to fueling up around the quarter of a tank mark. Uh, here lately, been doing the Great West, so uh, fuel stations are few and far between. Am I going right. to uh, am I going to throw off my fuel economy uh, uh, tracking by going a little under or a little over that quarter of a tank mark? It, it shouldn't. But we've had some people who really, really watch their fuel mileage close. Um, There's one guy who's just kind of a fanatic about fuel mileage and swears that if he refuels before he gets under a half, he gets better fuel economy. Um, We've tried to figure out what that could be. Two things possibly come to mind that more fuel in the tanks might create better fuel pressure. Is, is one possibility. The other one had to do with fuel temperature. You know, more fuel would, wouldn't would heat up as much as less fuel, but it's really speculative. I mean, we, we just haven't really proven either one. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, and the, the difference was so minor that I wouldn't make this a big concern. I mean, I wouldn't be going out of my way or stopping early just to stay topped off. You know, if your day is going to work out better by letting it go down to an eighth of a tank or down to empty and you know you're fine, then that's what I would do. All right. Now, when I enter that in my fuel gauges, uh, do I need to enter that as a full fill-up and then add another one saying a partial or do I just enter that all as one full fill up? Now the you mean if you stop two different times? No, no, like like if I let it go way over where I usually fuel. Oh. Yeah, that doesn't matter. So the what what determines whether or not you check it being a partial or not, the only time you would ever use a partial is if you don't fill it up. Nothing else matters. That's the only indicator. So you stop, there's a, you know, you have to get fuel, but you know there's a better price in another 200 miles. So you just put in 50 gallons to get you there. That's a partial. If you don't top off the tank, that's a partial. If you top off the tank 
doesn't matter if it's 10 gallons or 300 gallons, that's always a fill-up. All right. One more, and I'll let you go. Uh, sure. Concerning my valve cover gasket that started leaking a couple, uh, uh, a week or two ago, uh, does that have any weird side effects? Does that cause any overheating or anything? Am I okay till the end of the week with this, or is this something i got to stop 20 minutes ago and get fixed? No, you know, a, a leaking valve cover gasket, unless it's like pouring down the side of the engine, which is pretty unusual, is no big deal. I mean, I you could go a year. Uh, it, it's not going to cause any problems other than you lose a little bit more oil than you normally do. But other than that, it shouldn't affect anything. All right. Well, I guess that's all I need then. Thank you very much, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's see. We're going to head off to Illinois. Tim, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Um, this weekend on the show, you were talking about fuel economy, and they did that test in, in Texas where they did the one run and got really great mileage. I, right. I got, in, in November, I got I had one load. I got 12 and a half miles to the gallon. A 500-mile load. That's, that's kind yeah, of my point. I mean, yeah. The well, fact, the the is, fact the that is. they even talk about this shocks me. The fact that right. nobody else in the industry seemed to say, wait a minute, one run in almost ideal conditions, not even loaded heavy, you know, 65,000 pounds is a big difference from 80. You know, did we right. have a tailwind? They didn't report any kind of conditions. That, to me, is its almost embarrassing to spend yeah, all this money on a truck and the only results you release to us is this one run. My God, we could have people like you call all the time. Oh, yeah, I got 10 and a half miles to the gallon the other day. Oh, I got 11 on this run. Yeah, you were going from Denver to Kansas City with a 40-mile-an-hour tailwind. Yeah, I was Bob Dale. <laughs> but I got 12 and a half. That's 500 miles of Bob Dale at 12 and a half, but that was really good. And so, Well, you know, we kind of made a big deal about our first week with the signature truck. Um, and it was Lisa and I, Bob Dale, you know, from the Louisville Truck Show out to Denver, and we took the long way around, and we took our time. And we were able, and I was really really pushing it, like running 55 miles an hour, you know, really watching my shifting. And, and we were actually able to break 15 miles to the gallon on the signature mm-hmm. truck bobtailing. And we kind of made yeah. a big deal about it, but we also joked about it. You know, right. we weren't serious. We were saying, look, we, we broke 15 miles to the gallon with the truck. Ha, ha, ha. Because it's almost meaningless. It is. It is. So, all right. Okay. Two questions about incorpor- about um, incorporating. I-, I live in Michigan. The company I'm leased to is in in Nebraska. When I incorporate, I incorporate as a Michigan uh, corporation, right? Yes, the state you live in. Correct. Okay. All right. That's what I that's what I thought you had said before. Now, I was talking to another driver he's leased here. He has well now he has uh, thirteen trucks. He has he had ten of them. There were eleven of them that were paid off, and 
10, uh, 12 of the trucks are in the incorporation. That's the trucks that he has people driving. And um, the money goes into that account. He takes a $1,000 or a, a $750 a month salary to run the business. And, but that's all he does for the business. And his truck is actually in his name, and he fills out a Schedule C for his truck because his isn't associated with the incorporation. And that way, all the money that's there, when he hits $50,000, when he sends in his quarterly payment, if he's got $50,000 in that account, 25000 goes into a tax-deferred annuity. The other 25000 stays there. And then as he builds it back up again, then he just puts another 25 in and just keeps doing that, and that's going to be his retirement. Is it legal to keep his truck out of it? I, I, yeah. I thought it – okay. Yeah, there, there's nothing – nothing that – literally, I know some people, I think it's insane and way too complicated for no reason, but I've known people with 10 trucks to have 10 corporations. Hmm. They put each individual truck in its own corporation. They're, they have this big fear of if one truck does something and gets sued, I don't want to lose everything. And so they separate every one of them into its own corporation. You could also put five in a corporation and five in five individual sole proprietorship businesses. There's nothing to say. We can't run multiple businesses, even if they do the exact same thing. So okay. another example for me, I, I started my accounting company back in the early 90s. And, and for a lot of reasons, I didn't want that company to grow. We got to a certain number of clients, and that was all I wanted. But we knew there was a huge market, and I had two partners we started a virtually identical company to what I already owned and they wanted to grow it. So, you know, I let them do the work. They started to grow it. The two companies were virtually identical. It was almost like they were competing, but you know, I was an owner in both of them. There, there's nothing, and you can do that as many times as you want. So I don't see anything wrong with this plan. Um, I'm not sure. Well, let me get to a break, and, and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about it. But it, it's completely legal if he wants to do it this way. I'm not sure that there's any real advantage, but hold on. We'll come back and talk about it right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. 
The website is letstruck.com. Talking with Tim in Illinois. So, um, Tim, do you have an idea about how much his individual truck nets a year? Um, it's probably pretty. His miles are pretty close to mine, so it's probably pretty close to around um, sixty-five or seventy thousand. On, on what your business profit would be, tax profit would probably yeah. So range. So he could save enough another couple thousand a year in taxes if he would just throw his truck into the corporation. There's no reason not to, and still in, instead of taking his what like ten thousand dollar a year salary, throw in his driving. Take a forty-five thousand dollar a year salary. Nobody's going to argue that that's too low. Forty-five would be fine to do the driving and run the company, and he would be able to defer or or not pay any of the employment taxes on probably about another twenty or twenty-five thousand a year. I'm not sure okay. why he just doesn't put his in the corporation. He, simplify he things he, because. Go ahead. Well, he said the reason he did that was. He lives on what he makes on his truck, and the rest, the other trucks, are just for his retirement. And that's why he keeps it separate. I I get it really comes down to the only thing that matters. The money's money. It doesn't matter what account it's in, what company it's in. It's just an accounting thing. It's just how do we account for this money? And he's doing a lot of extra work because he has to have two accounting systems. And he's missing out on some tax advantages. And the only advantage he's created is he can see that that money is separate. Well, I mean, that's just accounting. We could simplify all his accounting. We could save him a couple thousand dollars more a year in taxes. And he could still say, I'm going to live on my $45,000 a year in salary plus my 20000 in draw or whatever he wants. And the rest of the money is still there for retirement. The other thing I'm wondering is why is he using an annuity and not using like uh, an individual 401k? Um, I don't. He got some financial advice, and he's he's had this annuity yes. a very very long time. And it, yeah, that. So so what he's really doing is making his insurance agent. Um, a, a lot a more lot money than he's making him his, himself. But annuities are just loaded with fees and commissions. And he right. could be doing – there are so many advantages to doing this in an individual 401K over an annuity. It's not even funny. How old is he? Um, he is in his late 40s. Still got lots of time. You know, he really needs to look at leaving his annuities alone. Don't do anything with them now because you get killed if you try to transfer any of that money. Leave the annuities alone, but he should start an individual 401K. Yeah, that's that's what I've told him. I tried to be an insurance salesman one time, and I... Oh, I so you know the annuity actually, game, then. Yeah, actually, I would have to improve to suck at it, so... <laughs> that's that bad. Yeah, that bad. Uh, yeah, but you know the annuity game. It is the fees and the commissions on annuities are just insane. Right, right. And I, 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 I tried to explain to him what the, you know, how much he was losing by not having it into, um, um, you know, the individual IRA or, or the individual 401k yeah. or, or, or something. 
know, you, get it in some you know, kind the, of an retirement account. Yeah, the annuity has the same tax advantages. I'm okay with that. I mean, he's not getting killed with taxes on the annuities, but he's just getting killed with fees and commissions to the insurance company, and it's very restrictive. There's very little you can do with an annuity. Right. Well, you know, the the good news is is he's got a really good plan. He's putting money aside every, you know, constantly, and he's still got a lot of time. So even if he never tweaks those things, he's still going to be ahead of 95% of the population when it comes to retirement. So congratulations to him. Kevin, um, I'm I'm prop gauges with multiple trucks in there. Would I get one report from each truck, or would I be able to get – one report that consolidates all of them. Both. Both. You can get individual reports so we can see the performance of each truck, and then we can see a company report so we get all the numbers in one place. Okay. And how much is it per truck? Boy, you know, I always say I never try to memorize pricing, not even on our own stuff. Um, You know, it's $19 for the first truck, but the price starts to drop pretty quick after that with multiple trucks. I just don't know the numbers. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, that's all I needed. That's all I needed. Thanks for the call. Good stuff. Let's see. Let's stay right there in Illinois. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I'm going to switch myself over to the ketogenic diet. I don't necessarily need to lose weight. I'm 27 years old, uh, 5'10", only about 170 pounds. But I'm very comfortable with my weight, but I want to get the uh, other health benefits out of it. I stopped eating my uh, pasta meals here that I packed with me on the road. I I have a filet of chicken, chicken breast with... uh, couple stalks of asparagus and uh, green beans with a teaspoon of butter on. I heat it up in the microwave. But I'm trying to bridge the gap. I'm getting a little hungry in the middle of the day, and I don't want to be reaching for chips or anything like that. I'm just wondering if you got any suggestions of something I can pick up I, on the road that can bridge me over I the do. gap. I do. Um, before I get to that, Kim just sent me a note. On Profit Gage's multiple truck, it's $10 a month for each additional truck. So, uh, And I know we've probably cut some deals. We have some pretty good-sized fleets. Um, and, you know, we'll look at each case on an individual basis if you have a lot of trucks. But uh, $10 for each additional truck on Profit Gage's. So here's the thing on the ketogenic diet. I know it sounds crazy and it freaks a lot of people out, but we should build our meals and our snacks around good fats. That's the the first thing we should be looking at. Um, And then kind of go from there. We want moderate protein, low carbohydrates. So the same thing in snacks. And we've been beaten to death with the low fat thing so long. we, We don't even understand how to do that sometimes. Um, some of the good snacks that I really like, um, nuts are always good, nuts and seeds. So macadamia nuts are my favorite. They're very high in fat, low in carbs, um, lots of good nutrients in there. They're a little on the pricey side. Um, I would probably say nutrition-wise, walnuts are, are a really good choice. Um, pistachios, 
almonds, cashews, virtually any nut except peanuts because they're not really a nut. So it's so weird that when we think of nuts, everybody thinks of peanuts. Those aren't nuts, and you want to stay away from those. Any of the other nuts are a great snack. A mixture of other nuts are a great snack. Uh, you, you do want to get them, you know, the just like everything, the best quality we can get. But in the beginning, we don't necessarily worry too much about the quality. We'd rather you just focus on getting that macronutrient balance right and then over time try to improve the quality when you can. Um, other good snacks, and, and these I do like to seek out better quality because the stuff you will find on the road is just garbage. And what I'm talking about are, are like uh, beef jerkies, um, sausages, you know, that, that don't need to be refrigerated, things like that. But be very careful of the stuff in the truck stops and on the road. It, it's garbage. So a, a lot of times... You're either going to be stocking up on this stuff at a health food store, ordering it on the Internet. The good news is this stuff lasts forever. So you can stock up a lot and, and not have to worry about buying it all the time. So those are good options. Cheese is a, a great snack. Um, high in fat, very satisfying when you eat it. Uh, what else? Oh, another good one. Do you happen to like sardines? Uh, never really try it, to be honest with you. Do you like tuna fish? I like tuna. The sardine oh, is like I've a done. very, very strong tuna fish. So one of the things I'll tell people, if you like tuna fish and you make like a tuna salad, you know, mayonnaise, some onion or, or uh, celery and that kind of stuff, the next time you make tuna fish or a tuna salad, Throw a sardine or two in there. The flavors are almost identical. It's just the sardine's a lot stronger. But sardines are like superfood. They're loaded with really good fats, but they're also loaded with minerals that we have a hard time getting in our diet. You're eating the whole animal. So you're getting calcium and all its mineral deposits. So sardines are an amazing snack. And... Again, very easy to store in the truck. They don't take up a lot of space. They last forever, and that's a really good option. So let me get to a break. We'll come back, see if that helps. I might have a couple other. Oh, I do have another idea for you. Uh, stick around. We'll be right back with Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phones. I was talking with John in Illinois. So, John, one other thing you can do if you're willing to do a little work when you are home, Google fat bombs. There's a thousand okay. recipes. Fat bomb is just kind of a generic term. 
and it's people who are eating ketogenic, and they're just little homemade snacks that are loaded with fat. So they typically are things like coconut oil, nut butters, uh, shredded coconut, nuts, and you just, they're not hard to make. Then, like I say, there's recipes everywhere, and they hold really well. So you can make a huge batch of them, put them in, you know, some sort of a container, keep them with you in the truck, and they're just really easy to grab. They're satisfying. They taste amazing. They're loaded with good fats, so they'll keep the the cravings down. Um, So between all of those things, you'll actually find that it is much easier to stock up your truck with good ketogenic snacks and food, and, and most of it holds really well. And you don't need to eat a lot of it. Like you know, if you start right. eating chips, you can go through a blow through a whole bag in no time, and then you're out, and you got to go find another bag. These, you know, keto snacks, fat bombs are so satisfying. You're not going to eat a bunch of these things. You're going to eat a couple and be very satisfied. So once you get into this, you're going to find it's a whole lot easier. Okay. Yeah, I know there's a truck stop in Clearwater, Minnesota, the Tile Plaza right there. They actually do a scrambler for breakfast. They cook up eggs, you can put sausage, bacon, and all that good stuff in it for a very reasonable price. Yeah, eating on the road, you know, if you're going to go to restaurants, is not difficult at all. Twist food, you know, the way we used to eat breakfast is amazing. Eggs and, and, and meat and even have them throw in a side of steamed veggies or something if you want to get some more vegetables in. Uh, it's a great way to eat. You throw in a little cheese if you don't have a problem with dairy. Really, once you start doing this, you are going to find it is so much easier to eat on the road on a keto diet than almost any other diet. Uh, another one, go to any restaurant that has burgers and salads, have them skip the bun and put your burger just the way they would build it, with cheese and bacon and mushrooms and onions and all the stuff you would normally put on a burger. Just have them put that burger on one of their salads. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite foods now. Let's go to Louisiana. Carl, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Kevin? Good. What can I help you with today? Yeah. Uh, my uncle just bought a truck, and I'm going to be driving it. And it's not. It's one of your not-so-favorite trucks. It's a 379P with a 475 Acer Cat. It's an 05. Okay. And I also wanted to know, well, what could you do to get some fear mileage out of it? Okay. And what year I have you? one. It's an 05. It has a 475 Cat okay. with a 10-speed. And 355 gears. Got it. Okay, so do you ever get into Pennsylvania at all? Uh, well, I loaded my first load with it this morning, and the way he got me set up, I can run wherever I want to run. I I would schedule a trip somewhere near Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh uh-huh. Power is north in, in a little town called Saxonburg. That's kind of like fuel mileage headquarters. And and one of the most effective things we can do on that particular engine is to reprogram the ECM. 
and they have All some right. amazing programs for that engine. Um, now, we could always start with the really easy stuff, but you can get all of this stuff at Pittsburgh Power. Well, most of it, anyway. Right. So a scan gauge, which they carry. My scan gauge yeah. they have there, you can get that. Um, fleet air filters, you can get them there. Their mufflers, you can get them there. They'll do the ECM. Honestly, with with those four things, the scan gauge, the air filters, the mufflers, and them doing the ECM, you're easily looking at a, a mile per gallon gain from those things. Right. So it, the other thing that they'll be able to do, because before we spend a lot of money on modifications, we just want to make sure this thing is running the way it should be running anyway. So, you know, they can check the overhead. Um, they will test the charger cooler. I would recommend an oil sample. They could help you with that. That's way we can get a baseline. We can make sure everything's working right, and and then those four modifications. And like I say, we're looking at a mile plus per gallon, and that'll probably all of that getting it done. You know, testing everything, making sure everything's right. We're probably looking at about a month, and then you know, in thirty days, call me back. We'll go over the results. We'll look at your numbers. Don't forget to be tracking this on every tank and fuel gauges. We'll go yeah. over the numbers, and then we'll figure out what the next best step would be. All right. And I have another question for you. Uh, this sure. morning when I went and loaded it, when you're, going down the, when you're going down the road, I was cruising about 55. And when I let out the accelerator and, my, and brought it and started on the jake, like for the first two seconds, like the jake would hold, and then it's like, it feels like you turn the jig off and start missing real bad. Do you know what that is? Okay. Yeah, there there are several things it could be. Um, that engine is kind of prone to wiring harness problems up in the top end. So right. I, I would be inspecting that wiring harness. The jakes may need to be rebuilt. Um, the jakes do wear out over time, and that could be an issue. Uh, it could be just an electrical sensor somewhere. Again, this is a really, this is one of those problems that you could dr- go to three different dealers, they'll throw a bunch of parts at it, they'll charge you a bunch of money and maybe never solve it. You go to Pittsburgh Power, you're going to pay some hours, but they're going to find the problem and solve it. Nine times out of ten, they'll find it the first time and get it fixed right. All right. All right, and those and 355, that's a good gear with, the, with that 10-speed you know, and that engine? It is. If, if, I had to, if, if we were only able to have one gear ratio, I would probably pick 355s. I mean, it, it's right smack in the middle. It works pretty well for most things. So with 355s, I wouldn't recommend changing those gears at all when fuel's at $2 a gallon. If fuel is at $4 a gallon, it might go on the list, but it would go way down the list. I mean, you're, you're going to do just fine with the 355s. To New York. Paul, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, I got an issue I've had with uh, air brakes um, since March of 2014. And it's steadily getting worse, but what's happening is uh, when I release 
my trailer and my truck brakes, everything's fine. But when I go to set my truck and trailer brakes, I just pull on the yellow knob. When the trailer brake valve comes out, uh, most of the time it's releasing the air through the dash. It's not releasing it yeah. at the trailer. Okay. The now, what? same trailer all the time? No. It started with a trailer that I borrowed from a guy, and it started, we thought it was just his trailer, but it's done it with three different trailers that the company I'm leased with. And I can tell you, uh, I've replaced some stuff on here, just uh, some of it was maintenance, some of it was other reasons, but uh, all four air brake chambers on the truck's been replaced, the dash valve's been replaced, and the tractor protection valve's been replaced, and it's still doing it, doing it about 95% of the time now. Oh, you just took all the air out of my balloon. I thought for sure it was going to be the tractor <laughs> or the trailer protection valve. Um, no, the only other thing I can possibly think of, and I've called a couple of dealers, and they they don't have a clue. Is it? I wonder if it's not in the treadle valve. You know, I don't know what else it could that, be. I've been told everything would, runs through that, anyways. That would probably be the next logical place to troubleshoot. I mean, you, you've done the obvious stuff here. Um, yeah, because everything you've done is exactly where I would have gone and that last valve is probably the next logical place to go. Okay. I'll get it done then. I'll let you know what happened. Yeah, let me know because this is one of those weird ones. You know, I'd like to kind of document those so I can go back to them. Uh, Yeah, I think that's going to be the logical place. The music's playing. I've got to get to a break. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. Kevin Rutherford. heads up we're heading into the fourth segment of the first hour we are going to come back into a second hour i have a lot of questions on hold so i'm going to try to get to as many of them as i can so at the end of this segment i'll say good night goodbye all that stuff i say at the end of the show but don't hang up because we'll come right back and do another hour here we go Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're going to head off to Nebraska this time. Bill, welcome to the program. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, I've actually got three questions. Uh, okay. The first one is 
I need assistance in learning how to maintain at least the simple things on my truck. Because right now, I feel like a nun with three breaths. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can right. replace the light bulb, but if something's wrong with elsewhere in the system, I can't take care of the light bulb. Yeah. So, believe it or not, the headlight systems have become much, much more complicated than they ever used to be. In fact, the entire lighting system on a lot of trucks is pretty tricky to the point where I've seen some shops that have some real problems like this. And somebody might go to add like uh, a, a couple extra lights and, you know, it's a newer style and it interferes with the voltage of the whole system. Now your turn signals start working funny or marker lights won't come on. You know, it, it's not like it used to be where it was a straight 12 volt. You plug a bulb in. If you have power and ground, it works. It's not that way anymore. They're much more complicated than they used to be. So don't feel bad if you can't solve a lighting problem. I've had some lighting problems on trucks that just drove me nuts. Um, in general, though, you know, there are a couple things you can do. One of them, for most over-the-road drivers, pretty difficult. Um, you know, I think taking a good auto mechanics class at, like, a local vocational school is a great thing. But I realize that's pretty difficult. You know, it's usually a, a certain night of the week, that kind of thing. Um, there are some online classes you could take that are really good. The problem with most online training is people don't do it. There are great programs. They sign up, they pay their money, and then they don't do it. And and I've been guilty of that. Um, I took a really great course through Stanford, and I ended up doing about three-quarters of it, which is still more than most. But it's easy to say, well, I know my class is Tuesday night, and, you know, I could do, do it, but I'm tired. It's recorded, so I'll I'll get to it tomorrow when I have more time or I'll get to it this weekend and then we just fall behind. And But, but there are some really great online courses you could take in any mechanical course. The, the working on a truck in general is not all that different than working on a car. They have engines, they have wheels, they have brakes, they have a lot of the same parts. Air conditioning is almost identical. Ecosystems can be very similar. So any mechanical knowledge you gain, whether it's about cars or trucks, is going to help you. Um, make it a point to maybe learn how to do an oil change on a truck and do one once. I'm not saying you should do it for the rest of your life because it's time-consuming, it can be messy, but you know, that, pick a couple little things, learn how to do them. That will help kind of build some confidence as well. Uh, other than that, are you receiving our uh, emails and newsletters? Um, actually, I don't think so. And I know it's so, on your website, and I've signed up for stuff, but the only thing I get for sure is the uh, notification that you're recording. Okay, so if you go back to the website, letstruck.com, bottom left corner, you'll see a sign up for our newsletter. It only takes a couple seconds. And when you sign up, you start getting a series of newsletters. So it's not like you are going to miss anything. When somebody signs up, we start them at the beginning. And one of the early emails you're going to receive uh, is about maintenance. 
and and it's a checklist of things that very few people do. It's kind of the bigger stuff, like when to change differential fluid, when to do oil analysis, when to change fuel lines, when to change the crankshaft damper, things to look for before winter. Uh, you're going to get a document and a checklist, and and that's really going to help you as well, knowing when to do things and what to do. Now, if I could just get my fingers sticking. Like <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, what else you got? Next question is: I've heard you talk about being lactose intolerant, and one of the system symptoms being gas. Uh, are we talking about uh, exhaust fumes, or are we talking about bloating, or what? All of the above. Um, people who are intolerant. Now, there's two things you could be. You could actually be allergic. In, in order for it to be a true food allergy, there has to be a protein involved, and there is a protein in milk that people can be allergic to. Most people, though, are what's called intolerant. That That's different than an allergy. Intolerance just causes a lot of unpleasant symptoms. And with dairy, 90-plus percent of those symptoms are digestive. So it could be stomach pain. It could be nausea. could be bloating could be gas, could be constipation, diarrhea, both of them alternating. Um, It's just your digestive system is just not happy with you, and it makes it known in a lot of different ways. And that is the most common. About two-thirds of the population has some level of intolerance to dairy. There are a couple things you can do. One is just eliminate it. If you eliminate dairy and those symptoms go away, then you know that you had a dairy intolerance. If you just love dairy, and I do, and I do have a dairy intolerance, there are some things. Like I I am not intolerant at all to raw milk cheese. I can eat all the raw milk cheese I want. doesn't bother me a bit, and and that's getting much easier to find. Um, Good quality yogurt doesn't bother me at all. I can eat all the good quality yogurt I want. So those are, and I can drink raw milk. Now, I don't drink a lot of milk because of, you know, it's pretty high in in carbs and sugars. But when I want milk, uh, if I drink raw milk, I have no problem. And there's a very logical reason for that. Okay, I'm one of those type people. Go ahead. I'm one of those type people that, you would think I would have twin uh, super pipes, the way I can blow gas. I have noticed, though, that if I get too much oregano in my system, that it seems like a green fog. Yeah, so... um, And I asked the doctor about it one time. He says, "Ah, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Uh, Well, well, it is a big deal. (laughs) It it is a big deal. And, And doctors don't just don't understand nutrition. It's just sad. They have, they have no more understanding of nutrition than you do because they, it's not part of their training. But that is not a normal, healthy, functioning digestive system. And we've even been told over the years, oh, no, gas is normal. It, it means things are working right. No, it doesn't. Gas means that we are fermenting carbohydrates in our gut. 
That's what creates the gas. No different than when you ferment vegetables in a jar, we have to release that pressure. We don't want that happening in our gut. So, and I can tell you that after 50 years of being the same way, when I got my diet right, that is gone. That virtually never happens anymore. So it's not normal. It's a sign that something is going wrong. And I would eliminate dairy first. Dairy is one of the most common food intolerances. And just to give you an, a, an amazing story, I just spent four days in a workshop uh, for my nutritional therapy program. We had midterms and a whole bunch of other stuff. But one of the instructors had an autistic child. The child was almost non-communicative until they were six years old, like they didn't talk. They could talk. They had the ability, the child had the ability to talk, but didn't, just wouldn't communicate with people, not even as parents. And at six years old, they found the, the GAPS diet, which is basically an elimination diet. You just eliminate all kinds of foods and then start adding them back in one at a time until you figure out what the problems are. They eliminated dairy first because it's one of the big ones. Four days later, the child was communicating like a normal child. Four days. That's how much of a disruptor dairy can be for some people. Okay. Well, it sounds like I've got to do the same thing you've done, and that's those raw dairy products. Well, I love don't dairy. do that first. Yeah, I love cheese. I love yogurt. So try Try this, though, because we don't want to confuse the results. Try eliminating dairy completely for two weeks to a month. The longer you can eliminate it, the better. And then you'll know if your symptoms are gone. And then when you start to add back in the raw dairy, you'll know whether or not you'll be able to tolerate that. Because some people can't tolerate dairy at all of any kind. So the longer you can eliminate it completely the better this is going to work, and then slowly start to add back in some raw dairy and see what happens. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Kevin Rothenberg. All right, we're going to do another hour. Right now we have plenty of questions, but uh, I'll keep you updated in case we get some openings. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about all kinds of stuff, trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your own authority, building a fleet, 
you name it. We'll talk about it on this show. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. And uh, I think what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to get right to the questions. We have lots of them on hold. We're going to jump right into them. Let's get started tonight in North Dakota. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hello. I got an oil sample there I'd like you to take a look at. All right. Let's. While I'm looking at this, tell me a little bit about the truck. I see it's an ISX. What year is it? Uh, Fifteen. Oh, boy. Those are always fun. So we have uh, no bypass filtration. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yes, there is on that. It does have the OPS on it. Oh, it's got an OPS. Okay. So we have just about 73,000 miles on the truck and about 27,000 on the oil. Is that correct? Actually, I, as I was looking at that, it is double that. I haven't changed it since the 23,000-mile mark, so it's about 50,000 miles on the oil. Got it. Okay. So your your sample here is kind of colorful, but I'm not sure if I'm understanding why yet. Um, no fuel dilution, no soot. That is a really good sign on an ISX because typically we're fighting both of those problems on an ISX. You have virtually none of either one. So it tells us that mechanically it looks like the engine's running okay, but our base is dropping and we're getting some oxidation. That's unusual, especially on a new engine. The wear metals, although they're climbing quite a bit, we've got tin. I wouldn't worry too much about that. The aluminum is really odd. I don't know why aluminum's going up so much. Chromium and iron. You know, there is a problem on the ISX where the jets that provide lubrication to the bottom of the pistons get clogged. They usually get clogged because of high soot in the oil, and you don't have any. So, but what happens is those jets aren't working properly. We don't get proper lubrication on the bottom side of the piston, and these are the metals we could see, aluminum, chromium, iron, tin. So it sounds like that might be what's going on, but I don't know why it's happening. Are you noticing that as you get further into your oil change cycle, are you noticing any drop in oil pressure? No, nothing significant. Okay. What I'm going to recommend, because I don't really know where to go on this one, because it's not really following kind of a logical pattern, but we shouldn't be seeing these kind of uh, wear metals. Now, the other thing I kind of skipped over, but I want to go back to, we have pretty crazy high potassium, but no sodium. Um, So it doesn't seem to indicate a coolant problem. Do you happen to either run in and out of any chemical plants, or did you spend a lot of time this winter where they're putting chemicals down on the road? Yes, uh, Fargo, North Dakota area, Minnesota, lots of lots of that issues. Got it. So they could be using a, a a road conditioner with some sort of heavy potassium base to it. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. We're not seeing any sodium. Um, my recommendation would be to change this oil. 
and let's okay. get a fresh start on this. I, I'm I'm hoping that maybe these wear metals are just those initial break-in metals that we haven't really got out yet. The ISX tends to hold a lot of oil in the top end, even when you change the oil. So let's change it. Let's run another 25,000 miles, and let's see if we see a pretty significant drop in those wear metals. And if we do, then, like I say, everything else on the sample looks good. Okay. That sounds good. I was concerned a little bit about those wear metals. That's mainly why I called there. So, Yeah, and they're not horrible, but they're higher than we would like to see them. So let's get a reset on this to make sure they weren't the break-in metals still kind of hanging around. Okay, and we'll do that. Thank you. All right, thanks for the call. Let's see. We are going to head off to... Virginia this time. Christopher, welcome to the program. Hey, hey Kevin, how are you doing today? Good. What yes, can I help you with? I haven't talked to you in a long while, man. It's good to hear um, from you, and, it's, and thanks for doing what you do. I just want to um, run quickly. And, uh, um, I got a speeding ticket as the first one. I've no, I've never got a speeding ticket in 11 years. Well, in all of my wow. years of driving, I've never... I've never got a speeding ticket because I've always tried to be a a safe driver. I, I'm hard on myself. But I got a speeding ticket like um, a week ago um, okay. in Decatur, Alabama. And I wanted to know how, if you have any ideas. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I wanted to know if you know how I could go about um, getting this fixed. Um, how how much were you over the posted speed limit? Uh the the officer says the posted speed limit was fifty, and he said I was going sixty six miles per hour. Oh, so you were more than fifteen. That's what he said. Yeah, yes. you were more than fifteen, which is kind of makes it a little more serious. If you were under fifteen, I would say don't do anything. One ticket in all that time, it's not worth. In my opinion, it's not worth the money to fight it because it's fifteen over. I would because it's going to be pretty easy to at least get them to probably reduce it. They may not eliminate it completely, um, but they may reduce it so it's not as severe. Um, you know, there there are all the prepaid legal programs that claim they fix all this stuff. I am not a big fan of those, and you are the exact reason why I'm not a big fan. Because you had somebody talk to you into getting this service 11 years ago, you would have paid them a bunch of money over 11 years and never used it. So I just recommend, you know, save your money. Don't belong to one of those things. And then when you have a problem, go pay somebody to fix it. We, We used to have a company that was a referral program, and I just, I'm drawing a total blank on who it is. And and I don't want to say something because so many of these other legal plans sound the same, and I don't want to send you to the wrong place. Um, you could do some research, do some Google research on, you know, a CDL protection, CDL ticket fix. It, it, you know, there's lots of terms. Um, don't sign up for a subscription you either want just a straight referral or you want, you know, somebody who you pay one time, they fix it, and we're done. The other option is um, call the State Bar Association in Alabama 
and ask specifically for an attorney in that county, I would get right down to the specific county, that does, you know, driver license cases. And, and the Bar Association may be able to direct you. You may have to just find a county and do some Google searches. And all you really want to do is call up an attorney in that area, um, you know, that works on this kind of stuff and say, hey, look, I got this ticket. I can't get back there. You know, what are you going to charge me to go in and fight this case for me? Okay. All right. Um, yeah, next we, question, uh, Kevin. We had originally talked about partnering with the referral network. I, I just, we don't get a lot of calls. I, I didn't really want to make a big deal out of it. It's easier to just, you know, go find a fix when you're in this position. Okay. Okay, Kevin, um, next thing, uh, what, what do you think about the tracking system that all of these brokers are now requiring that they track your phone when they're, when you're pulling their loads? Uh, you know, it, it, this is a personal thing. Um, I, I get the fact that we, we want privacy. We don't want to be tracked, but this is a personal decision you have to make. This isn't the broker really. This is being driven by the customer. This is the customer saying, look, I can track. If I use a big carrier, I have tracking. If, if I ship a package, I have tracking. I know right where everything is. And now all of a sudden, we feel like we need to be able to track everything. Um, I'm not a big fan of it, but, you know, if if it's a matter of I'm being blocked out of some really good paying freight because I won't do this, then I might reconsider. But if I'm able to go find the freight I want and I'm happy with and I don't have to track, then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go work with somebody who doesn't require it. Um, I'm going to get to a break. We'll come back and talk about that just a little bit more. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. I lost that last caller, so uh, I'm not going to go into too much more about tracking. It's, I think it really just comes down, for now, personal decision. If, if you don't want to work with somebody that requires tracking, then I wouldn't. Um, you just have to look at it economically. Are you being forced out of good-paying freight, and are you willing to be tracked? Let's go to Ohio. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, I love what you do on the radio. Thanks for everything you do for us. You're welcome. What can I help you with today? I'll start with something positive and say I absolutely love that scan gauge. That's helped me diagnose some maintenance issues and did some freight uh, by tracking my 
talons used on lanes I'm running. It's really helped. Excellent. Now, the problem I'm calling about today is the TST. Uh, I'm just having fits with this thing. And I'm wondering if other people have the same problem, what you've done in the past, what you've seen. I bought the, I believe it's the 507 internals. Okay. And I left the truck stop an hour and 15 minutes ago. I still have two tires to report in. It's not uncommon that you would leave town, and initially within 15 minutes, everybody may report in, meaning tires. But you'll see two, three, four tires stay the same temperature. Uh, In fact, that beeping right there is I got to keep shutting it off or unplugging it and you know resetting it. Right. uh, You you'll see temperature tire uh, temperatures go up, and then magically two of them are staying at the exact same temperature they first reported in at. And I've moved the repeater. I've moved that repeater three times. Uh, the man on the phone has sent me a different antenna uh, for the system. I'm just getting to the point where I feel like it's a it's a great idea, poorly implemented. Well, this is the first I've heard of this, but it, that's I'm not surprised because we don't have a lot of people using the internals right now. So, um, I, I'm thank you for calling because if this is an issue, I want to know about it. You've already done everything I would recommend. I was going to say, do you have the repeater? Have we tried moving the repeater? You know, are we sure the repeater's working? And and it sounds like they've worked through all of that. Um, Do do we ever notice a pattern that's maybe it's the same sensors not reporting? Uh, It does have a favorite two sensors it likes to drop, but that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean anything because I've seen it just flatten out report for a whole day on another tire. Okay. And, you know, right. I put a whole I put a whole other repeater on it, and I rewired it thinking maybe I was getting an intermittent signal to it. Right. Where I put it on right. a mechanic or a manual switch where I can reset it without reaching over and unplugging it and plugging it back in. And I'm if it works. And if you're having success with the external valve stem ones, I want to switch to them. But I'm to the point now where they, the guy on the phone is just guessing. He's asking if I'm running any radio electronics in here that could be. And they're, now they're just guessing. You know. Yeah, and that's that's pretty far out there. So, um, like I say, I I was going to switch to the internals because I want to get more experience with them, and I will no. follow up with them and find out if this is a pattern or if it's, you know, maybe some weird one-off case. Um, We do have a lot of people running the externals. Now, we had that issue where some of the externals were cracking. Um, They found out the problem. It was a bonding agent they were using. They switched. They replaced everybody's sensors. We've had very, very minimal problems since then. I mean, we, we always expect... You know, and and I don't know if you heard the story. We worked on tire monitoring systems for almost four years before we found one because kind of what you said, it's a great technology. There were some problems in implementation across the board. Every system we we tested had problems. Um, We picked TST because it had the least, 
and they were the most willing to really identify problems and then work to fix them. And they've done that with their externals. If we identify a, a problem with the internals, we're going to push them, you know, to, to come up with a solution. So I appreciate the feedback, and I'm gonna. I've got a note here. I'm gonna call them up and get on that. And you should be very happy with the externals. We have, like I say, we have a lot more experience with those, and those seem to be working great. If it means anything at all, you know, these internals are on super singles on the Graytex. Yeah. I don't know if it's a, a tire brand issue or a super single versus a single. But I only switched over well, to super single because of the being able to monitor them. I hate super single yeah, with a passion. And I, I wanted to be able to at least Right. And that's good information for me to know. And I noted that here because if we start to see a pattern that it does happen more with with wide singles, then we'll know to target that. So I, I, I can't think of any reason. But, you know, another example of this I had used, um, you know, like uh, Centromatics and Balance Masters for years, and they worked on super singles unless we got a problem tire, and then we found out the counteract worked much better. It didn't and seem they logical. But yeah. So the counter let me... Go ahead. That worked. That worked. Your counteracts works great. I bought some takeoffs with some irregular wear. Put put them on this used truck with counteracts in them, and all the irregular wear figured like wiped itself out. And I have zero vibrations, right. and it's an old Good. truck. Yeah, that's excellent. So yeah, so I've never tire balance. I've got all the notes here. Great. I've got all the notes here. Um, I will contact them. See if this is a pattern. Um, see if maybe I can get to an engineer maybe up at a higher level that might have some ideas for you. Um, mm -hmm. If you send send an email, if you would, send an email to support at letstruck.com. Right. Just, just make a note that you and I talked about this on the air and I was going to follow up. And that way, if if they have some sort of a solution that sounds like it makes any sense and they're not just guessing, um, I'll shoot you a reply and let you know what's going on. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Keep on trucking. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's see. We are going to head off this time to Idaho. Jack, welcome to the program. Well, hi, Kevin. And I'd like to talk to you. And haven't talked to you for a while. So I got a couple of things. One is kudos from my accountant. Issue uh, about propagation. We have been using it for several years, and uh, he's been impressed. But this year, he was extremely impressed, especially with uh, the differentiation or the separating out of the days on the, over, you know, the days out on the road because the per diem allowance uh, changed somewhere during the year, and they had it already calculated for him. And I think there's also on the business use of personal vehicles. So uh, those are a couple Excellent. things he noted. They really liked it, so uh, anybody's not using propagators, they are really missing out on a, on a very affordable, effective uh, monitoring tool of how their business health is. And, uh, you know, and, and thank you for that feedback, because one of the things we knew was that we were, when we designed the program, we were not following traditional methods of accounting. And we looked really hard at this, and, and we're not 
cheating anything. We're not doing anything wrong. We we just weren't necessarily following. We wanted to make it simple. We wanted to make it accounting for people who don't understand accounting. Um, and that's how I got started. So we were, you know, always wondering what are, you know, traditional accountants going to say about the program. And the the feedback has absolutely been amazing. I mean, most accountants that see this absolutely love it for their owner-operator clients. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to give a shout-out on that. And about a month ago, maybe a little longer, you had a guy call in. He was shooting a, a vibration problem in his truck, and then he went through this and there, and I kind of brought back memories of when I was doing that for about three to four years. I'd say a similar symptom. I don't know if the cause was the same as his or mine, but... I chased it in and out of an alignment shop, and and nobody could really figure it out, although one alignment shop did say that my front drive axle, the, the spindles were towed out about an eighth of an inch each. That's as close as anybody got to diagnosing the real problem. So as I looked at my tires, because I could change, but on like new rubber, nothing but it, it would help it, but it wasn't cure it, but it was actually tolerable, but the more the tires would wear, the more pronounced it would get to the point that it would shimmy shake the whole cab. And I said one day, oh I'm going to find a problem. So we jacked it up on on the jacks and run the truck up to about 50 mile an hour, and I could definitely see a bounce in the front drive axle. So I said, okay, let's shut it down. So I got my tape measure out, and I measured the back side of the tire. Hold, hold, hold that thought. Because I, I want to hear this. This sounds like a good one. The music's playing. I've got to get to a break. We're going to come right back, and we're going to find out what happened here. Don't go away. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Kevin Rothford, we're going to get right back to the calls before the break. Jack was telling us about a vibration issue. Jack, go ahead, pick up where you left off there. Uh, okay. Anyway, I measured uh, at like the three o'clock position on the back side of my drive wire, the back axle, to a, to the same point, clear across the frame to the outside of the other axle. I was just trying to test measurements, and I did the same thing on the front side of that same axle at about the nine o'clock position, and they were pretty close to spot on. I did the same thing on the front axle, and there was a three-eighths of a difference between the back side of the tire and the front side. So I said, okay, that front axle is the problem. So then I measured the same point on the tire just to the frame on each side, uh, and uh, it narrowed it down so the left side was okay, but the right side was the guilty culprit. That front tire was towed out three-eighths of an inch. And so I said, okay, at least now I've narrowed it down where it is and what it is. So we found out that that spindle was actually bent. 
three-eighths of an inch. Wow. And as, as it was going around and around, it was scuffing the tires just enough to about halfway around the tire that you could look at the tire with a naked eye and really couldn't tell the difference because they were essentially smooth all the way around. Uh, there right. was enough of a difference in the weight, and my centromatics would not compensate for that extra weight loss. So we took, and I had the spindle fixed. Actually, I put a whole new axle in is what I did. And uh, and then that changed everything, put new tires on, that fixed the problem. Uh, I'm just amazed that it took four or four years of frustration to find the problem. Well, here's the interesting thing. Um, you know, there's a very powerful lesson out of this, that all the shops, all the knowledge, expertise, all their technology, the alignment racks, all that stuff didn't find this. What yeah. it took was you and a tape measure. Yeah, that's all it took. Yeah. And determination this is I was the, so disgusted. Yeah, you know, you have and, and and this isn't a criticism of shops, it is somewhat, but sometimes there are issues that shops just aren't going to be able to fix. You know, when we talk about, I don't want to get too far off track here, we talk a lot about health stuff. Doctors aren't going to fix it. They're just not. They don't have the time. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the motivation. They're going to ask you what your symptom is. They're going to prescribe a drug to cover it up. Um, That's all the shops we're doing here. What are the symptoms we do? We can't find it. Oh, we're, you know, we're out of ideas. You had to get involved. You had, you cared enough. You wanted the problem solved, and I, I'm not going to say it was simple, but, you know, you with a little bit of time and a tape measure found where the problem was, and then that led you to the absolute cause of it, and you were able to fix it. This is the same kind of stuff that Mike Beckett teaches at MD Alignment. I mean, every measurement on that truck can be done with a tape measure. We don't need lasers and complicated racks and doing exactly, which is, by the way, one of the standard measurements that a a good MD alignment shop should be doing. That's what Mike teaches. Before you try to align the truck, you make sure those two axles, the rear drive axles, are centered on the frame because a lot of times they're not and that you don't have any of those toe-in or toe-out conditions on the axles themselves. So those that should be kind of a standard measurement, but alignment shops never do that. I've never seen one do it. So anyway, I just wanted to shout out that to you. Hopefully it will help somebody down the road. And also, uh, at some time, I'd like to call you you back and talk a little bit more about health stuff. I'm on a real health kick. I have been for quite a number of years, and and, uh, I stay fairly healthy. I'm about 5'11", 160 pounds, have been for a long time. Stay in pretty good shape. Wow. uh, About 15, no, about 25 to 30 minutes of exercises. Most days in my truck, get a good cardiovascular workout. I'll share with you some of the things that I've learned to do that work really well, and I can do it all inside my truck. And uh, and we'll talk more about that sometime. Anyway. Yeah, give me a call. Uh, I'd love to have you come on uh, Destination Health with us and talk about that. I love that kind of stuff. And uh, the more feedback we get from people doing it in the real world on the road, the more people will be able to help. So thank you for that. And thank you for this one. Um, You know, if you are interested in seeing 
how simple alignment and tire wear issues can be, then Mike Beckett has two great books about alignment and tire wear, and you can pick those up in our store. They're not very expensive. They are. I have them both sitting right here next to my desk. I use them constantly. They are easy to read, easy to understand, great pictures and diagrams. Um, so check those out. You can get them in the store at letstruck.com. And it, it talks about how to make these kind of measurements on your own. It, it's not very complicated. Let's uh, let's go to Tennessee. Doug, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Fair tax now. Absolutely. What can I help you with today? Uh, I've got uh, I had two, but now I've got three items, and they're all quick hits. First one, an added benefit of following your instructions for fuel economy to slow down is no speeding tickets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, um, you know, if I go back, I, I started my driving career in Ohio when it was 55, even after all the other states went back up, Ohio was 55. And I, I did a lot of my driving within the state of Ohio. Um, and I averaged about one ticket a year, sometimes two, and it would be one of those stupid tickets at like 62 miles an hour in a 55. And finally <laughs> I said, I, I got to quit this, you know? And it was part of the reason for me driving 57. I was also learning about fuel economy. And, you know, they both went hand in hand. My fuel economy went up, my profit went up. And my tickets disappeared. I didn't get another ticket after that in a truck. Yeah, keeps more money in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, now, on destination health and health and fitness, or as I like to refer to it, wellness and fitness out on the road, uh, I'd like to see you add something about smoking cessation or smoking cessation Good. support. Good topic. Yeah. Uh, so and the, let me, and the let me throw something in now that, that might surprise people. And you, I, I, we will do a segment on this, but let me throw in something now that I think would surprise people. A lot of people are going to look at their health and say, okay, I've got to do something. And since I'm a smoker, I'm going to stop smoking. Because it, it's probably the biggest single thing, if you are a smoker, the biggest single thing you could do to, to fix your health. I would caution people not to do that. Because... If we address the other things first, we also know how difficult it is to quit smoking. That's documented. That's not in your head. It is, a, it is a very difficult thing to stop. And if we address the other foundations that we talk about here, getting your diet right, getting some stress under control, and there are lots of ways to do that, getting your digestion working properly, getting your gut flora in balance, if you fix those things first, it makes stopping smoking much easier. If you are stressed out with a poor diet, lousy gut flora, bad digestion, you're not feeling good, and you try to quit smoking, it's going to be much more difficult. Let's go fix some of the easy things first, and it will make this really difficult thing easier. Sounds good. 
And the last thing I have is a relatively easy one for you. I, at least I'm hoping so. Uh, 2000, 2007 Freightliner, EGR only, because it's an 06 engine. Uh, when the Jake brakes come on, the fan comes on. Is that supposed to happen? Jake brakes fan. What? Four. 60 Series D Deck 5. Yep. Jake and the fan. I'm trying to figure out where the hell the connection is between those two. I mean, I know that the fan coming on is going to pull about 50 horse off the engine, which will yeah, in that turn put more of a load on the engine to hold you back. Yep. But something doesn't seem oh. right there, and I've had three Freightliner dealers tell me, oh, that's fine, it's supposed to do that. But I keep yes. saying, no, it's not. I think they're right. I think they're right on the D-Deck 5. Um, and I can't remember if this is an ECM setting that could be changed, but there's no reason to. Because we're concerned about fan coming on because it uses more fuel. But when you're on the Jake, there is no fuel being burned. So this is just a, a, another way of loading that engine to create more braking horsepower, more braking power. Um, God, it seems like I'm missing something on this, and I can't remember what it is. Let me uh, let me think about that, or maybe somebody will send me a message and jog my memory. But I wouldn't worry too much about this. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Dutton. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to uh, the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to the phone calls. Let's go to Florida. Larry, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Uh, let me preface this by saying I didn't think it was going to happen to me. Okay. Uh, least, pur- least purchase nightmare. Uh-oh. Uh, I've been with the company 10 years. uh Three, three years ago, my truck went down, so they put me in a company truck to drive, 40 cents a mile, no taxes, signed a contract. After six months, they asked me if I wanted to buy it, and it was a great deal. Plus, in that six-month period, I got everything fixed on the truck. The okay. truck's been paid off for two, two years now, and every time I inquire about getting the title, it's one excuse after another. And the thing that might help is that this truck belonged to a company that the company that I'm leased to bought out. And so they're leading okay. me to believe that there's complications with that. And I'm really frustrated because um, I can't file my taxes with proof of ownership that if I'm audited. And I can't go anywhere. So 
anything that they want me to do, I have to do, or I just sit and starve. And before I get ugly and start doing things that might jeopardize my career down the road, I wanted to call and see if there's anything you could offer, any way of maybe respectfully demanding my title. Well, before we get there, first of all, thank you for calling and sharing this, because I, I want people to pay attention, because you were probably in one of the best-case scenarios on a lease purchase I could imagine. I mean, you know how I feel about these. I don't like them, but yours, you had been with the company a long time. Um, you knew the truck. You got all the things worked out before you had to really become responsible for it. I mean, if we're going to do a lease purchase, this was about the best case scenario and you paid it off. This should be a very happy ending, but I want people to realize how much risk there is in this. And, And the risk is that if I go buy a truck somewhere, that title gets put in my name at the exact same time they get their money. There's no worrying that they got my money and I don't have a legal title. That never happens when you buy a truck. But in these lease purchase things, so many things could go wrong before that title ever ends up physically in your hand with your name on it. Uh, My guess is, because I've seen this so many times, the reason you're getting the runaround and the reason you're not getting it is because they don't have one. They've got a lien on that truck. That is very, very common. These companies finance these vehicles, and it, it, them paying off the vehicle has nothing to do with you paying off the vehicle. You've paid off all the money you owe them. That doesn't mean they've paid off somebody somewhere else down the line. And until they do nobody's going to get that title. So have you received any clear answers about why you're not getting it? Uh, Well, see, I went there back in October to the safety director and said I wanted to split my interest with the company because the truck that went down is coming up, and I did not want both trucks competing with one another. And she said to me that... uh, We'll see what we can do about getting your name, changing the name on the title and getting it to you. And being that I've been with them for so long, you know, I've given plenty of leeway. And some bad things started happening. Some sabotage to my truck. uh, Vandalism. And I I now park my truck in a different place. I pay for secure parking. And with the last inquiry, it was now the comptroller's issue. But he's working on something for the president. It may take a while. And yeah, those, those are those are excuses. I mean, this isn't something. They either have a clear title and they sign it over to you, or they don't. This isn't that as complicated as they're trying to make it sound, which sounds to me like they're making excuses and trying to buy time because they don't have a clear title. That, that would be my guess here. Um, here's the way I would approach this. And, 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 you know, there's no really good solution to this, but you are in such a high risk place that 
we need to take some fairly drastic action, and here's how I would do it. I would find the next carrier that I would want to go to if something goes wrong in this process. I would do that first. I would do my research. I would go through the whole process just like I wanted to change carriers. I would interview carriers. I would go talk to them. I would go through the whole process. I would get approved at the other carrier. And and I would be ready to move if I had to. Once I had all that in place and I knew I had a, a soft place to fall if things go wrong, I would get an attorney. And and I would pay an attorney to dig into this and find out where that title is and, and why it's not yours. Two years is ridiculous. And, and if anything goes wrong with these companies, you just could be out of truck completely. Like I said, I didn't think it was going to happen to me. <laughs> well, that's why I'm glad you called, because I think we all feel that way. We all get into that place where, yeah, I've heard all the horror stories, but my situation's different. I know the company. You know, this is a short lease. I already know the truck. All those things Kevin says are bad. It's not me, so I'm okay. But this is a big one that I talk about, that risk of, of having no legal ownership on a vehicle. You know, it's not, honestly, it's not much different than going to U-Haul, renting a piece of their equipment, and somehow thinking you have some sort of legal ownership to it. These lease purchases are the same thing. You have an agreement to pay them money to rent a truck. And and until your name is on that title, that's about the only legal strength you have. Um, If this company goes under or stops making payments if there is a lien on this truck, the lien holder will have every legal right in the world to come repossess that truck from you. Doesn't that sound crazy? You made all your payments two years ago. But that lien holder still has every legal right to come back and repossess that truck if the company hasn't paid their obligation. I'll be back in town uh, later on in the week. And I'll follow up. I'll go in there nicely and ask them. And if I don't get the answer I want, then I will contact an attorney. And I'll follow through and let you know how it turned out. Yeah. And remember, create plan B. Know where you're going next. Get that process. I, I Before I contacted an attorney, um, I would have that process done. I would already be approved at another carrier and ready to move. Um, I do like going in and asking nicely. Let's see if that works. But uh, if not, you're going to have to do something a little more drastic here. Let's see. Uh, It looks like I've got time for a quick question. Let's go to Wisconsin. Eric, welcome to the program. Yes, Kevin. Um, When I got a comment, uh, but when looking such as Landstar, you know, they say that uh, the age of the tractor doesn't matter, yes and no kind of thing with uh, the, their Omnitrack system for their onboard computer. It has to be compatible with the tractor. So when looking at companies to uh, lease on to, um, you need to be aware of, if you haven't purchased a tractor yet, make sure that that tractor is going to be compatible with their um, OBR. That's a good point. Really good point. Thank you for that. And and to add on to that, um, and maybe we'll even 
create a list of this. I, I do know because I know the Detroit so well. You could go all the way back to a D-Deck 2, early 90s, and it's a pretty simple upgrade on a Series 60 to bring that up to compliance to the level of like a D-Deck 4. We just put a D-Deck 4 computer on it. Um, so it's not out of the question that an old non-compliant truck could be made compliant fairly easily on the Detroit. But I'll, I'll find out... Um, probably work with Pittsburgh Power on this and see if we could get together a list of what ECMs would be compatible and what could be upgraded. Good point. Yeah, because I was looking at a uh, M1496 model select, and it's not compatible with Landstar's um, onboard re recorder. You know, And i got another now, question. Um, you may want to check, though, um, you know, if you're really interested in a truck like that, give Pittsburgh Power a call, and they may be able to tell you if that could be upgraded to the newer electronic controls. Uh, both Cat and Cummins were pretty slow to the electronics game. So even their mid-'90s and some late-'90s ECMs are a little more basic. Uh, I wish I had time for the rest of it, but the music's playing. It means I've got to get out of here. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work. And master the journey. Kevin Robinson. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.